This Sunday is referred to as Reign of Christ Sunday. It is where the gospel year ends with days ending to as the, they darken in early afternoon. In the liturgical calendar, today is the last Sunday of the year, which began with Advent 2019. Reign of Christ Sunday affords us this tiny window between ordinary time and Advent. Just a little bit of breathing space. At the same time, in our modern culture, the message is increasing that this is a time of consuming for buying and rushing. Many retailers have already started using catchy campaign ads and taglines to get us to buy their stuff. It's a stark contrast with the breathing space, the quiet in-between liminal space of a church's liturgical calendar. I read that in the Benedictine tradition, there is a monastics who practice something called statio. That's right, statio means to pause on purpose. I like that, to pause on purpose. It's also called the holy pause. I like that too. It's the spiritual custom of finishing one task before beginning another. Sister Joan Chitster, a Benedictine nun, describes how her novice mistress insisted that the sisters in training be in chapel five minutes before the bell rang for prayer, which was not necessarily what Sister Joan wanted to do. She wrote, Think of all the things that could have been done in the additional five minutes a day. Work, valuable work could have been done and I could still may have made it in time for prayer. But over time, she came to understand that the practice of statio, the act of pausing on purpose, is meant to center us and make us conscious of what we're about to do and make us present to the God who is present to us. In many ways, Reign of Christ Sunday is the Statio Sunday of the Christian calendar. This is the day when we take a breath and we finish the year before beginning afresh with the season of Advent. This thinking on taking a moment brought me to a story that has been a, a bit of a topic of conversation in our home for a number of years now. It's the story of a woman who, rather than rushing ahead with the crowds, saw a potential to help those in need. This is a story that involves the Boston Marathon, which until the pandemic, my husband Steve was supposed to be running in and maybe one day he still will. Whenever he does, I will be there at the finish line cheering him on. But did you know that every year about 50,000 pounds of clothes are left at the starting line of the Boston Marathon? 
That's right, 50,000 pounds of clothes. A reporter described the early morning scene just before the start of the race. She said, tens of thousands of runners arrive at Hopkin Common where the race starts. It's still pretty chilly in Boston area in this time in April, and the runners have to wait for a few hours before the race starts. So they show up in jackets and sweatshirts and gloves and sweatpants, but they don't run in all that gear. When the race starts, they're wearing light shirts and shorts. So where does all this warmer clothes go? Apparently, it just gets dropped at the beginning or shed as they head out over the first quarter mile of the race. The volunteers come and they bag it up. And for a long time, it was that was it. Some charity might come and pick up the bags, but sometimes no one came and the clothes, well, they just got thrown away. Apparently, after running 26 miles, or for us Canadians, 42 kilometers, few people feel like coming back to get their sweatshirts and a program that carried bags of clothes to the finish line had been discontinued due to security reasons. All of this changed when a lady named Judy Patassi showed up. She couldn't stand to see all those clothes just go to waste. After volunteering with the race for many years, her brother had run a few of them, she passionately spoke to the organizers about how these clothes could actually do some good. They ended up being putting her in charge of the newly formed clothing collection program. She and a whole bunch of volunteers picked up the clothes towels, even yoga mats, and anything that gets discarded along the way between the starting line and the Ashland town line. They haul their bags of goodies to the 10 trucks that Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Massachusetts Bay sponsors. After all that stuff is then separated with a portion sold to the Big Brothers and Big Sisters thrift stores, and the rest sold to other thrift stores around the country. The proceeds go back to the mentoring program that Big Brothers and Sisters run. The most recent year's haul I read, which netted about 26 tons of clothing, have raised enough money to cover a full year's mentorship for 20 kids. When asked why, she was so passionate about doing something good with the clothes left behind. She said, it just inside me. I've gone without at a period in my life, so I know what it's like to not have the best or to have your shoes worn out or whatever. So I think I have a good understanding of what others might need. Her work helps clean up the streets, provide thrift stores with quality athletic clothes, helps a local nonprofit get funds, and in turn helps kids get mentors. That seems like a win for everybody, don't you think? In our reading from the Gospel of Math this morning, we see a full text of challenges to also be present in the moment. 
and a need that should be fulfilled. It is frequently called the parable of the sheep and the goats. It is a third in a trio of parables. Very often it is useful to see what comes before and after a reading to better understand it. After the parable of the sheep and the goats, we hear these words from Jesus. You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So our gospel reading is actually another ending. As we read it, we mark the ending of the church year, but in the text, it's the ending of the teaching parables of Jesus, or at least the last teaching parable before Jesus becomes a parable himself. And so we read it on Reign of Christ Sunday and have the opportunity to pause and consider God's kingdom and our part in bringing it about. If there was anything that we would that would you get on if there was anything that would get you on the sheep side of the sheep versus goat thing list, there you go. I think we could all agree with what Judy Patassi did with the discarded clothing is something that would, would get you on that list. Here, close to the end of Matthew's Gospel, is the point where Jesus is trying to leave his followers and some of his naysayers with the last bits of teaching he will have time for. He is telling them something about what it means to follow God and work with God to bring about God's reign. Jesus tells them that they have been entrusted with so many great gifts that they can use to serve God and warns them not to squander them. Jesus tells them that God has some expectations for them too. Jesus calls upon this imagery familiar to them, both because of, their, of them coming from a farming community and because they would have been familiar with the apocalyptic and prophetic literature of their faith. It is these texts with, the, with this literature of the end times when the kingdom of God will be fulfilled and realized at the end of the earth. The Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him separating people in judgment based on their actions and inactions. The text, well, my goodness, it is full of twists and turns, surprises and reversals. What we thought was obvious isn't. Those who thought they were crucial, well, they aren't. And those who thought they were disposable aren't. Those who found themselves at the margins are now at the center, and those who thought they were excluded now find themselves honored. It helps to understand the deeper meaning of the goats and sheep metaphor. For one thing, the goats, are, well, they were actually more valuable in economic terms. They provide milk and food and clothing. Sheep, only food and clothing. So the goat has more value, really, and can be considered more worthy by society. So in a simple cost-benefit analysis, the sheep cannot be so symbolically seen as more valuable of the two. 
It is also important to point out that the class system of the time, shepherds were the lowest in terms of prestige and honor. In part, it was because sheep were less valuable than goats. How then was this idea of the separating of the sheep and goats meant to be understood? Throughout the Bible, it is the vulnerable ones who are at the heart of God. Those of lesser value are the ones God holds up as more worthy than others who have deemed as been more valuable. And this is evident in our scripture passage as it moves beyond production and commodities to determine the level of value or importance. Now the story gets better when we set it in context of the time that it was recorded. In that time and place, sheep and goats were hard to tell apart. They look alike. To tell the difference from a distance requires intimate knowledge of the only difference in their tails. Sheep have fat tails while goats have tails that stand up. Did you know that? It really takes walking in a sheep farmer's boots to know them. This is a really good lesson. We have to live in another's reality and know their situation in order to make accurate judgments about them. This parable is similar to other stories in the Bible. It emphasizes the connection between seeing a need and acting out on it immediately. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It tells us that all three observers of the man in the ditch, well, they saw him, the first two engaged in a twofold action. They saw him, and then the response was to that sighting, they, well, they passed by on the other side. The response of the third person is threefold. He saw him, he was moved with pity, and then he took concrete action to express his compassion and assist the injured man, even though he was an enemy. Or when the father saw the prodigal son, still far off in the distance, he was filled with compassion and ran and embraced him and in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels, we are repeatedly told that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion for them and healed, fed, and taught them. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, what makes some blessed is the fact that, though they didn't realize it, in seeing the poor, feeling compassion for them and helping them, they saw and helped Jesus. By contrast, what makes others cursed is that they never really did see Jesus suffering and in need because they never really felt compassion for the poor. I think we can safely say that the kingdom of heaven is, shows up when we least expect it. The presence of Jesus, well, it's hidden among the sick, the hungry, the thirsty, and the imprisoned waiting for us to take action. The question is simple. When have you done deeds of compassion for the marginalized, the outcast, the weakest and most in need in society? When we care for others, we are caring for Jesus. Jesus is not the only fellow sufferer who understands. 
He is also the loving companion who celebrates life with us. We truly celebrate our lives when we see them for what they really are, gifts to God. And we live our lives through a Christ-like faith that God is in all things and that all things are in God. Maybe, maybe, the practice of statio, purposely ending one activity before beginning another, prepares us to take action on behalf of the vulnerable. Maybe it helps us to realize that we too are among the least of these in need of care. Maybe it affords us a breathing space to consider where we've been and where we are intended to go, to set our intention more decisively. If we are going to be a part of the resistance to oppression, if we are going to see the face of Jesus in others, if we are going to prepare the way of the Lord in Advent, we need to be really ready, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Pausing, whether during the day or during the year, gives us a chance to stop for a moment and breathe. Inhaling all of what the past year has been for you. And exhaling, letting all of the way out. And pausing before the next inhale. That pause was like a brief statio. Now. Now we are prepared to begin. Holding Jesus' vision of justice and care for the most vulnerable as we move into Advent. May it be so. Let us pray together.